Hey, hello, buddies, fellow Franco fans. How are you today? This is your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, and you are listening to the Franco Observer Podcast once again. Um, This is episode 17, and we are talking about and featuring the film Jack the Ripper, which is film 77, directed by Jess Franco. Uh, this is the 10th film that we've done of 16 in the Jess Franco, Erwin C. Dietrich collaboration, uh, team up, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the product, he, Dietrich was the producer and, uh, Franco was the house director for 16 films. And this is the 10th one that we've, uh, covered so far. Uh, this is a great one. This is Jack the Ripper with Klaus Kinski as the star. Um, this was the fourth film that uh, Klaus Kinski did with Jess Franco. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's go back and say that uh, this was a Swiss, Swiss um, I'm sorry, so a West German production, 1976. Uh, in There's the... Uh, Blu-ray and then the UK and US DVDs of this uh, that's out. Um, this is, uh, of course, Jack the Ripper. The uh, French theatrical title is Jacques Le Infranteur. The Belgian Dutch language theatrical is Jacques de Verflachenvinchlentar. Uh, the Belgian French language theatrical is Jacques Le Aventure. The Argentina theatrical for Jack the Ripper, Jack et le Distrepator. Uh, the Italian theatrical is, uh, which is odd, this the Italian, they go off, and it's not called Jack the Ripper at all for the Italian theatrical, it's Erotico Profondo, which is uh, translated to Deep Erotica, which is odd because um, I recently picked up the Italian Playbill poster for that uh, framed. It's behind me on the wall as I'm broadcasting this now from Sacramento, California. Uh, and it's odd because, uh, yeah, it's uh, um, deep erotica. And uh, Stephen Thrower comments on that in his comments on Jack the Ripper. Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump to that part because I'm speaking about that. And he goes... Uh, he says uh, finally one question that simply has to be asked who came up with the Italian theatrical title Erato, Erotico Profondo if the words deep erotica struck someone as an appropriate description for this dark and grisly film I hope never to meet them on a dark night in Rome, Whitechapel or anywhere else I know that's odd it's like a like they're cashing in on Deep Red and cashing in on the uh, Dare Argento, uh, which they did later with Bloody Moon and uh, Night of the Assassin or uh, Night of the Skull to try to make it look like it's a uh, Argento type film. You know, they they did that with a few of his films to try to, like I was saying, to try to cash in and to try to think it's part of a Giallo or whatever. Um, but yeah, so maybe back to the other titles. Um, the Yugoslavian theatrical one, Notes ze Prostituk, A Knife for the Prostitutes, which is more like a uh, 
76 title compared to a Jack the Ripper. That's more like a modern horror title for that time. Um, let's see. The Finnish theatrical Sohan Terustuska, also known as Slatkartaren Franz Soho, the Soho Butcher. Uh, the Finnish title, The Ripper, Vekslakunsjak. Jack the Ripper, West German poster, Jack the Ripper, the prostitute killer of London, Der Dersmord in Dor von London. Production company is uh, Cinemark Films of Britain. The theatrical distributor is Avis Filmverleck, again, uh, which is uh, Switzerland and West Germany. Cine Showcase releasing out of the United States of America, uh, Victorian Films from Belgium, World Sales, and Elite Films out of Zurich. Uh, the shooting date on this is uh, they shot from June 1st to June 25th of 1976. They got the certificate in German in September of 21st of 76, just about three months later, because um, it premiered on the 23rd of 76. Uh, played Zurich in December 76 and got the French permit in March of 78 and played France in April of 78, and played Paris on uh, January 31st of 79, and then played uh, Southern Italy, San, Cerv San Cervero, on January 30th of 79, and played Turin, which we have listeners there, uh, in February 27th of 79, and Rome of March 2nd, 79, and then... That's interesting. For America, it played in Albuquerque, New Mexico uh, in July 13th of 79. Then played Los Angeles, California, um, home of the doors, uh, January 9th of 1981. The theatrical running time, uh, Germany is uh, 91 minutes, 5 seconds. The theatrical running time in the United States version is 90, I'm sorry, is 85 minutes. So it's about 6 minutes shorter. Uh, the Blu-ray running time for the Ascot Elite version is the 92-minute version, which I would assume is the German version, probably in just the uh, translation for time. Uh, let's see, credits on this, we'll go through some of these. Uh, director, of course, Jess Franco, writer, Jess Franco. Of course, it says writer because it's based off Dr. Orloff. Uh, executive producer, Max Dora. Producer, Erwin C. Dietrich. Director of photography, Peter Baumgartner. Production manager, Eduardo A. Stockley, also known as Edward D. Snockney. Location manager, Peter Sporeri. Um, assistant director is Mark Rissi. Alphonse Singer, set design, Rolf Engler. Camera assistant, Rudolf Kutel. Makeup, Jacob Peter, Rita, Rita Buchart. Editor, Marie-Louise Bucher. Uh, German version for sound, Avco Films, title design. Okay, uh, sound editor, sorry, sound effects, Hans Walter Kromsky, Karl Heinz Rieber, music, Walter Baumgartner, 1976, World Sales Elite Films. Uh, Kinski is dubbed by German voice actor Fred Miar. Yeah, we unfortunately watched the American dubbed version, which is a very bad dubbed version. Um, I've read from this book uh, that they recommend the German dubbed version with American subtitles, or with English subtitles, so uh, that's the preferred version. 
but um, the version that you get through Full Moon here, it's the only, uh, it's the cheaper version, and which gets back, I didn't go over that. Yeah, we watched it on uh, the Full Moon DVD as part of the Jess Franco collection. It's usually about 10 bucks or so, uh, or less, if you get uh, a deal, if you buy them all on like Black Friday or something like we did, or sorry, like I did. Um, of course, the Royal Wee. Um, this has, uh, of course, so what it shorts you in the only the English dubbed version, it has extras uh, as introduction by um, Delirium Magazine editor Chris Alexander. It's got a rare deleted scene. It's got Ripping Yarn, Restoring Jack to Ripper, which is about 20 minutes or so. It's got that same uh, audio interview with Jess Franco, which is on about f- at least five or six of the ten of these, um, with French with English subtitles. And then it's got the original theatrical German trailer on here. So, you know, it's not bad for that. But yeah, if you can afford it and you want to be a, get a better version, get the Ascot Elite Blu-ray, which is uh, about 30 bucks or so. Um, and it's, uh, you know, of course, a Blu-ray copy, so it's a better print, and, of course, uh, you get the German version on there, the English version, and a bunch of other things, so, anyway, so, back to where we were, uh, let's see here, okay, cast on this film, uh, Klaus Kinski plays Dr. Dennis Orloff. So yeah, so it's really not Jack the Ripper, it's actually Dennis the Ripper, if you think about it, because he's not called Jack in this film, he's Dennis Orloff, Dr. Dennis Orloff, so it'd be Dennis the Ripper. So, you know, right there, that should tell you, thinking about it, right from the beginning, this isn't Jack the Ripper, it's just Jack the Ripper, a name only, and a remake of Dr. Orloff. Um, A lot of people don't catch that right off the bat. Uh, Josephine Chaplin is Cynthia, Andrea Smankoff is Inspector Selby, Herbert Fox plays Charlie a fisherman, Lena Romay returns, of course, as Marika Hoffman, a cabaret dancer, Nicola Weiss plays Flora, uh, Ursula von Weiss plays Miss Higgins, uh, Hans Gogler plays Mr. Pritchard, the blind witness, uh, who looks like my friend Bob. Uh, Francine Custer plays Sally Brown, the first victim. Olga Gebhard plays Miss Baxter, Orloff's landlady. Angelique Ardance plays Miss Stevens, Marika's mother. And uh, Peter Nush plays Sergeant Rupert. Regine Eisner plays Blondie, Esther Studer, who uh, was in the last film we watched, Mondo Erotico. Uh, around the world, eighty beds. She plays Janine, the second victim, who's also, I believe, the model for the poster art for Jack the Ripper, the woman who's uh, you see her knees up and her head back toward him, dead. That's I believe that's her because the way she's killed in this looks like that pose. Um, Regine Elsner plays Blondie. Esther, okay, Esther. Uh, Lorley Boucher plays Maggie, the brothel madam. Mike Ladier. I'm sorry, Mike Lederer plays uh, Collins, the coach driver. Otto Dornbier plays Charlie's fian friend. Uncredited Walter Baumgartner plays the ballet school pianist. Oh, that's cool. I didn't realize that was him. So, yeah, Walter Baumgartner, the guy that does all the music for these films, the Dietrich films and that, he's the piano player, uh, the kind of the balding guy 
was an interesting shape of his head when I was watching it. I was noticing him. I'm like, that guy's an interesting shape. And uh, he plays the piano while the woman's dancing, and he's talking to her. So, yeah, that's cool. So he's in this uncredited. Uh, Roman Hubert uh, also is cool. He plays the bowler-headed police sergeant in this. And um, let's see, they have that, okay. So basically, the production notes on this. Um, in April 76, Jess Franco suggested to Erwin Dietrich a horror film based on the infamous case of Jack the Ripper. It would be set in Victorian London, an undertaking far more ambitious than Dietrich was accustomed to. Franco provided a breakdown of the projected costs and drew up a plan that would be plan that would have seen him shooting for half a week in London and three weeks in the south of France. The project was designed from the start with Klaus Kinski as the leading man and Franco initially favored Edmund Purdon for the inspector, a role eventually played by Andreas Munkopf. The budget, excluding Franco's fee, was estimated at 149,800 Swiss francs approximately 32,000 pounds or 174,500 pounds in today's money. Dietrich agreed agreed to the proposal, but he was not about to send Franco off to Nice again, so the two men came to an agreement to shoot the film in Zurich. Kuski's casting was confirmed in May, and although Franco had originally costed his involvement for a period of two weeks, by the time the finished shooting plan was worked out, the actor Klaus Kinski was needed for only seven days. For seven days is cool because uh, Kinski doesn't have a lot of dialogue in this. He acts, like I talk about uh, in the review coming up, he acts a lot with his body and his face and his eyes. So the absence of a lot of dialogue for him sped up his uh, shooting days, which is cool. That's a good idea for filmmakers to watch this. And think of that with mind. If they have somebody that's a name like that, they only have her a few days. The less dialogue you have to slow things down and to minimize your sh- time with them, uh, that, or I'm sorry, that maximizes your time for not having the dialogue, can add more screen time. So that actually worked in their favor for this. Jack the Ripper went before the cameras on June 2nd, 1976, shooting for three weeks. As speed was of the essence on such an expensive production, live dialogue recording was ruled out. Um, Dietrich explained that Jack the Ripper was shot without any sound. All dialogue on location was spoken in whatever language the actors preferred to talk. Later on, we edited the film according to the script and wrote a dialogue script in German. We considered German to be the original version of the film. It was the first version we did, and the English version is a dubbed version of the German original. Uh, Franco was barred from operating the camera, and the director of photography, Peter Baumgartner, took a much more pivotal role. Um, yeah, there is definitely... Um, lighting was Baumgartner. Baumgartner lights up the scene more completely in the classical way, and that actually helps this film with the dark scenes. There's really good dark fog scenes that he shoots and the lighting is more of a overall instead of a focused which is more Franco likes to use a a primary light and he uh, lights the whole room so I actually preferred the lighting on this 
So with this, uh, Jess Franco made four films with Kinski, Venus and Furs, Justine, Count Dracula, and Jack the Ripper. And um, Franco was evidently someone to whom Kinski could relate, for their relationship was by all accounts very cordial. Speaking of Janu- speaking in January 1977, Kinski, never one to dish out praise lightly, had this, has had this to say about Jess Franco. He's the exact opposite of so many others. In a way, I'll always stick up for him. He shoots in his own style, very fast, very swift. He doesn't dwell on things. He makes films with whatever he has to hand. And that's where his talent lies. He can make you weep by his ability to bring out what's inside of people. Erwin Dietrich had pointed out that during the time he worked on Jack the Ripper, Kinski put in close to 15 hours a day, almost twice as long as he was contracted for. Given Kinski's famously volatile temperament, such commitment to getting the film in the can shows that he respected Franco as a man working for the love of cinema, pushing against the limits of what he could afford in order to achieve something special. Jack the Ripper is a handsome and expensive-looking film constructed with care and sobriety on a budget that would have probably made Hammer's directors laugh out loud. What is not a, what it is not is a serious attempt to offer a possible solution to the unsolved Ripper case. Franco is completely uninterested in, trow, in trawling the historical record and coming up with plausible new theories. Instead, with breaking chukspa, he uses the case to restage, sometimes scene by scene, his horror debut, The Awful Dr. Orloff. Franco was quite open about this at the time, telling Swiss journalist Hans de Fuhrer, Jack the Ripper, like Orloff, is a man who has paranoid phases in his normal, unremarkable life, in which he commits his horrible, horrendous crimes. He is also a Puritan like Orloff. There are essentially two versions of the story. One is that Jack the Ripper, who was never convicted, was a member of the British royal family. This version is probably closest to the truth, but... I decided a political films do not interest me. For the second opinion, in this case, Jack the Ripper was Argentine doctor who lived in London suburb and lived a very simple and solid life. One day they surprised him in a dispute with a prostitute in a London underworld. He was subsequently expelled from England without his crimes being attributed to him. One thing is for sure, in both versions, the murderer was a doctor, and he knew anatomy very well. After he had killed his victim, he cut her into pieces. Well, I needed my Jack the Ripper to have a name, so why not Orloff? He is my favorite such figure, and I had the opportunity this time to shoot a larger Orloff film. One thing that's very important to me in this film is that I was lucky enough to get the actor Klaus Kinski. I have already made several films with him. He is an actor I admire, and my Orloff is an ideal role for Kinski. And he was upset about the film on its completion. For the moment, I think it's my best film. I'm sorry, it says. And he was upbeat about the film on its completion. For the moment, I think it's my best film. I had the opportunity to work in a suitable atmosphere, and with more resources and opportunities than usual, and with a great actor. I think Klaus Kinski is one of the greatest is one of the great performers in a fantastic film. His personality, his magnetism, his way of playing. I love to work with him. He understands very well how to play a character like Jack the Ripper. For him, it seems to be the easiest thing in the world. If you give him the opportunity to make such a complete person, 
he is extraordinary. We shoot, oh, sorry, we shot one scene, for example, which in the screenplay was to last under a minute. It shows the loneliness of the prostitute killer in his attic, withdrawn in the study of his medical books, beset by memories of the past. The scene is now four minutes, and I'm confident the viewers will not get bored. On the contrary, you will be fascinated. Despite what one might expect, this is a restrained affair for the most part, and its central character likewise. Kinski is remote and glacial in the role, giving us a maniac so deeply repressed that even whilst hacking up his victims, he barely snarls. We see the career professional, the doctor, the Victorian gentleman, but almost nothing of the brute sadist raging within. Kinski, who is more than capable of unleashing cataclysmic rage on screen, plays this monster, a murderous misogynistic who slashes up women and carves out their entrails in a stony, almost mask-like way. The only point at which he lets go, just for a moment, is in a horse-drawn carriage when talking to Lita Romay, who plays a sexy dancer and prospective victim. Are you talking? Are you taking me to Sherwood Forest? She deadpans. For those who don't know, Sherwood Forest is about 180 miles from London before snuggling up to him in full sex-kitten mode. As they banter together, Kinski smiles, a warm, genuine smile, inspired, I would guess, by Romay's viv vivacity and playfulness. Cast and crew. Regular music composer for the Dietrich Franco era, Walter Baumgartner, uncle of the film's director of photography, Peter Baumgartner, can be seen tickling the ivories at the ballet studio where Cynthia is training. Music. The film benefits from some effective music that was thankfully not simply plucked from Dietrich's grab bag of existing cues. The rusty fairground stylings of the title music is especially memorable. Locations. Shooting took place in Zurich during June of 76. The most amusing feature of the film is the use of the city's Schatzkengraben Canal, 30 feet wide, to stand in for the River Thames. Other Zurich locations include the Klostier in Fraumunster Church, where the first victim meets the Ripper, the Windermark and the Theater am Neumarkt, which was redressed to portray the Pike's Hotel Tavern exterior, with further street scenes also captured in Steinbockengasse and Predregasse. The plant strewn chamber at Dr. Orloff's home was a room at the Botanical Gardens located near the, near to the Schwarzengraben Canal. The interior hallway of Orloff's apartment was the entrance wall of the Villa Sonberg set in the wooden grounds of Sontenberg Grostest in a well to do region of Zurich called Zurichburg. This rambling villa was used by Dietrich as a studio for several years. Much to so that his crews came to refer it as Studio Sonnenberg. Uh, on the Jack the Ripper commentary track, Dietrich explained that it belonged to a Swiss banker, but in the 60s and 70s it fell into disrepair and was left unattended. Squatters broke in and took over the house for many months. Once they were evicted, the owner was happy to let Dietrich use the place for free to discourage further invasion. It could be seen in the films Elsa the Wicked Warden, Blue Rita, and Love Camp. Connections. As noted, Franco recycles here many elements of his debut horror picture, The Awful Dr. Orloff, including a police artist sketching the wanted man, the investigating officer's dancer girlfriend using herself as bait to catch the killer, and a multitude of other echoes. 
Also making a reappearance rather wonderfully is the blind-bearded, bespectacled Bedger from another ostensibly London set crime set by crime story set by Franco, 1971's Der Tod Todskrax von Soho. Uh, let's see. The lion heard during Orloff's vi vision, and now the lustful lord leapt from his bed is madly tossed between desire and dread, bewitched with lust's foul charm. Paraphrases Shakespeare's poem, The Rape of Lucrece. An interesting choice, as it points toward a psychological fault line in Franco's cinema. In his 1987 essay, on the poem, Shakespeare scholar Joel Feynman observed that the tragic events which befell Lucrece are set in motion by the extravagant praise which her husband, Collentine, showers upon her. His boastfulness about his wife's chastity and sovereignty inflamed the desire of the rapist Tarquin, thus creating the circumstances that will lead to her violation. One is reminded of the similar swing between adoration and destruction of the female that can be seen in so many Franco films. Indeed, Jack the Ripper, with its, with its dramatic, drastic mutilation of Lena Romay's body, seems to emanate from some dark reverse of the films Franco made between 73 and 75, in which Romay's powerful beauty so often mesmerized his camera. With Romay having been absent from Franco's film since the autumn of 75, this particular role, its exorbitant brutality well in excess of Franco's usual levels, seems an odd and possibly significant choice for her return, especially given that in the intervening period between Mandinga in November 1975 and Jack the Ripper in August 76, crisis had torn the Franco family apart. Romay's husband, Ramon Ardid, left her, and for several years, Franco's wife, Nicole, was no longer involved in his productions either. They did, however, remain friends and stayed in touch until Nicole's death in 1996. Whatever transpired after Franco and Romay walked away from their responsibilities during the Mandinga debacle, alienating at least one spouse in the process, it seems that director and star were kept apart professionally, speaking for roughly nine months. Did Franco unconsciously blame Romay for the end of his marriage? If so, the brutal treatment meted out to her character in Jack the Ripper can be seen as a sort of exorcism of that anger. Because from here onwards, the two of them grew even closer, and Romay's next role in the Franco film saw her culo firmly back in control. <laughs> uh, let's see. Jack the Ripper was only one of a handful of Irwin C. Dietrich productions to be released in France, the others being Blue Rita, Satanic Sisters, and Voodoo Passion. Uh, Jack the Ripper opened on four screens, the Synagogue, St. Laurent's, the Hollywood Boulevard, the Broadway, and the Ritz. On January 31st, 79, remaining on the Paris circuit for four weeks, and returning for the odd screening as late as November 1982. Other versions. Uh, if possible, one should always watch the subtitled German-language version of this film, because the English audio track is monumentally awful. Many of the English lines are hopelessly garbled to fit the lip movements, and there's some truly atrocious acting from the dubbing artists. 
One of the prostitutes sounds as though she'd be more at home having cream tea at Windsor Castle. I have a high tolerance for bad dubbing, and if you're a fan of Eurosleeves, it's best not to get too picky, but it's such a shame here because Franco has clearly taken an unusual amount of care with this film. Yeah, which I had remarked when I was watching it, the guy that does the dubbing of Klaus Kinski is terrible. Um, also, too, going off the Franco checklist, which we always do, uh, there is water, of course, the River Thames. Uh, there is a sailboat. So there's a boat, or a, uh, a boat, a rowboat woman uses. Uh, no sail on it, but it's, there's a boat. Uh, of course, there's dance scenes. Uh, there's the cabaret scenes, the dancers. There's clubs. Uh, people are watching. There's an audience. Um, there are palm trees inside of Dr. Orloff's uh, room. Um, the... Uh, um, plants and everything where he does the operating the killing of the cutting up of the victims he has all these potted plants and such there uh so there's that um no sheepskin rug uh don't think there's red lights in this because of the uh being in the 1888 and that um and no sheepskin rug no masturbation with sea items and no jungle sound effects in this but there is uh the other stuff so yeah Body of water, boat, dancing, clubs, palm trees. So we get part of that. Um, I enjoyed it. I liked it. You'll hear that part in the review coming up. Um, I don't know. Let's see. You can get this at uh, the Full Moon website, of course. Uh, Full Moon Entertainment. You can probably find it. Uh, that's the cheapest way. You can find it a little more expensive at Deep Discount or Amazon.com here in America. Um I would recommend the Ascot Elite if you're going to get a better version. The Blu-ray on that, of course, is the way to go. This is the, uh, but if you're on a budget, the uh, Full Moon um, American dubbed one is the cheapest way. That's what I got, but I'll probably upgrade eventually and get the Blue Ascot. I mean, get the uh, Ascot Elite one, the Blu-ray of that. But I got some other things going to buy first, so that's going to be on the back burner. Uh, our mission statement here, of course, is praise and memory of Jess Franco is why we do this, bringing his name and the titles and films of his of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears. Um, always getting new fans, new audience. Um, if you want to reach us, get a hold of us, please reach out to us at FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We have pages dedicated to Franco Observer Podcast. Uh, just check us out there at Instagram or Facebook. Please add us. We're always adding new uh, pictures of new DVDs, T-shirts, posters, different Franco items I got. Uh, whenever the podcast comes out, usually on Wednesday mornings early um, in the a.m., we always post them on there, let everybody know they're out. Uh, we might change it to Friday for Franco Fridays, but I might say with Wednesday, I don't know. That's another thing. Let us know what you guys think. Do you like it on Wednesdays, or do you want it on Fridays, or does it matter to you? As long as you get one a week, you know, sometimes two. So let me know what you think about that. Because, uh, yeah, I'm always here. I'm always open to what you want to hear and do or what you want me to focus on. Um, please download the show if you don't already. Uh, we always love that you listen to it, but if you can also download it, it increases our numbers, gets us a better audience, bigger audience. I should say not better because you guys are awesome and because you, you're Franco fans, of course, 
But if we have a bigger audience, then we get more eyes and ears on us, and that increases uh, things coming our way, and we always want bigger and better. So uh, then maybe I can, you know, do some more of these and maybe bump up the numbers. So yeah, it looks like we're already about 30% more this month than last month. That's awesome. Uh, let's try to make like 50% more the next month, and then maybe like 100% more after that. We want to keep doubling and doubling, you know? Dublin, Dublin's good. That's what you want. Dublin, Ireland, right there, Dublin. So, um, yeah. Uh, after this, you're going to have the uh, Jack the Ripper trailer, and then we'll have the review of Jack the Ripper with myself and Eric Whitwell. And uh, then, yeah, after that, uh, you'll have the music outro. And then after that, you'll have to wait for episode 18. That's getting ahead of ourselves. That's next week. So, talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Love you guys. Keep keep listening. I'll keep broadcasting. Bye-bye. Glaubst du, der zappelt schon an deiner Angel? Wer zappelt? Na, Jack the Ripper. Ha, hör auf, du alter Spinner. Verdammter Inspektor, diese Hexen! Ruhigen Sie sich, Madam! Prostituierte, etwa 20, Haare braun, Augen blau, der mutmaßliche Täter. Klar, Jack the Ripper. Besondere Kennzeichen. Hm? Das nehme ich auf meinen Eid, das war Jack the Ripper, Inspektor. Also bei meinem Augenlicht, es ist Jack the Ripper gewesen. Es <lacht> <lacht> ist Marianne Kursow schon wieder ein. Achtung, Milord! Da kommt jemand! Du sagst es, sie war ein frisches, junges Blut. Und jetzt kratzt du es von der Mauer ab. Ah! Wer schreit denn da so? von Jack the Ripper gehört. Hier hat doch eine geschrien. Mein Töchterchen, ein Blinder ist nicht so schnell. Er ist uns leider entwischt. Halt! Was hält Ihnen ein? Sind Sie verrückt, junger Mann? Oh, ein Irrtum, Lord Salisbury. Gibt es in Scotland Yard mehr von Ihrer Sorte? Nein!
Hey, hello, buddies, and welcome once again to the Frank Wilms Podcast. I am your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, and this is episode 17 of the Frank Wilms Podcast, where we're doing film 77, Jack the Ripper, with Klaus Kinski. Um, uh, let's see, this, uh, this was a really good film. Um, this was made in 1976, Blu-ray, UK, and US DVD. We watched the, uh, Full Moon DVD of it, which was the remastered version, which looked really good. Um, oh yeah, once again, I'm here with my co-host, Eric Whitwell. Hey! (laughs) Sorry about that. Oh, that's all good. I got a roll there. Um, I was getting into it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good, good, good. (laughs) Um... Uh, the Italian theatrical, which is uh, Erotico Profondo, which is Deep Erotica, which is the uh, lobby or the Playbill poster that I recently got that Eric recently saw. The big uh, oh yeah 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 of Jack Ripper. That's what this is under yeah. um, um, Erotico Profondo, which is Deep Erotica. I don't know. This is really not erotic. It's not erotic. Yeah, I know. It's like he's just <laughs> murdering prostitutes. Jack the Ripper. I don't know what's erotic about that, but you know, that's kind of odd. Um, Maybe that's just what they find erotic over there. Yeah, and then also the deep, like <laughs> deep red, because I know they try to do a lot of the uh, Dario Argento stuff too around this time frame. The the relabeling of his stuff to kind of cash in on that. So like the deep red and the Profondo Rossi was like you know the deep red and stuff. So they might be going off of that. Um, uh, one of the f- favorite titles of this, the Yugoslavian theatrical title, uh, Nos za prostituka, which is a knife for the prostitutes, <laughs> which I guess just gets right to the point. Um, compared to the last few films, you can definitely see that there's way more distribution for this. You have a French, Belgian, Argentina, Italian, Yugoslavian, Finnish, and West German. So it's definitely played uh, way more than the last few films. Um, that's one thing when watching this film, uh, so much that this is so much of a, more of a film than the last few films, you know, um, basically, yeah, uh, I'll go through some, all the technical stuff in the introduction, which we did, but, uh, yeah, basically shot this, uh, in like three weeks from June 1st, about the 25th of 76, um, is what he shot this in. Yeah. Basically in just about a month or less shot in about three weeks, uh, 24 days. Oh. You know, give or take. Um, yeah, and then it premiered in uh, September of 76. Like three months later, that's a really fast turnaround. Yeah. So, yeah, they got the uh, certificate issued September 21st of 76, and then it premiered in Germany on September 23rd of 76, and it wrapped in June 25th. So that's really quick editing and turnaround. Um, let's see. Okay, so there's basically sound in the American and the German version um, because on this one they recorded it without any sound. They just used whatever language the actors were comfortable with using, and then they recorded a uh, vocal track in German is the primary track, and then they recorded a English track later on, um, which is a secondary track. So, and it's weird listening to this because it's like doing a podcast and I go back and editing and listen to it in headphones. You can always tell when somebody's speaking into a microphone. Or when it's being picked up on a microphone in, in a room compared to just speaking in a microphone doing dubbing. Because you can always hear the tint of the microphone or the normalization of the sound or where the where the sound is um, originating from, like a room or, or a small area like a dubbing booth. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really apparent on this. 
and I did not like the actor who dubbed Klaus Kinski. I no. thought the guy was... It just didn't feel like Klaus Kinski. It was a guy trying to act like Klaus Kinski, and he was really fucking terrible. They should have used Klaus Kinski's original voice and then subtitled him, or I don't know, something. They just should not have dubbed him. Yeah. Um, and this Klaus Kinski plays Dr. Dennis Orloff, which, of course, is a Jess Franco character, Dr. Orloff. And uh, this film is basically a, a almost a shot-for-shot. Shot, not shot-for-shot. Shot, it's a remake of... Uh, the awful Dr. Orloff, um, one of Franco's early films. Um, Josephine Chaplin plays Cynthia. Andrea Simonkopf plays Inspector Anthony Selby. Um, Herbert Fox plays Charlie, a fisherman. Lena Romay uh, comes back into the action, and she is, stars as Marika Hoffman, a cabaret dancer. Uh, Nicola Weiss plays Flora, and uh, Orloff's servant. Um, Ursula V. Weiss plays Miss Higgins. Uh, let's see. Hans Gauguer plays Mr. Pritchard, the blind witness, who looks like a friend of ours named Bob. <laughs> uh, Francine Custier plays Sally Brown, the first victim. Olga Gebhard plays Miss Baxter, Orloff's landlady. Um, Angelica Arntz plays Miss Stevenson, Marika's mother. Let's see. This is quite a big cast. Uh, Peter Nush plays Sergeant Rupert. Regine Elsner plays Blondie. Um, Esther Studer, who was in the last film, uh, Around the World in 80 Beds, she plays Janine, the second victim. She gets a quite graphic killing in this. Uh, I think she's also, to the model that's used for the illustration of uh, the Jack the Ripper with the woman the victim on the cover. I th- I'm looking at the scene that she's in and the way she's dead. Of her body laying and where he's standing, I think that's that's the victim that they chose for that one. Um, uh, Lorley Boucher plays Maggie, the brothel madam. Mike Laderier plays Collins, the coach driver. Otto Dribier plays Charlie's friend, and then uh, uncredited we have Bowler Hatted police sergeant uh, Frederick Schonenfelder. Okay, uh, synopsis. Uh, Dr. Orloff is a quiet, respectable London physician by day and Jack the Ripper by night. He rapes and murders prostitutes, then drugs, I'm sorry, then drags their corpse back to his clinic for mutilation and dismemberment, after which Flora, the devoted housemaid, disposes of the bodies in the River Thames. The latest victim is one Sally Brown, Inspector Anthony Selby of Scotland Yard, and his assistant Rupert are having no luck solving the case, nor Selby having much luck with his fiancée Cynthia, a ballerina. Their relationship is close to collapsing because both of them put career interests first. One night, while lying in his room, Orloff sees a vision of Cynthia, whom we are told he recently fixated upon after observing outside the ballet school. In the vision, Cynthia assumes the role of prostitute, taunting Orloff, making levacious suggestions, and remarking upon her resemblance to Orloff's dead mother. Afterwards, Orloff visits a prostitute called Jeannie, who works for a brothel above a pub. He leaves her body cut up and strewn around the bedroom, where she's discovered by Maggie, the brothel madam, and another prostitute who lives directly next door. Charlie, a fisherman, snags a severed human hand on his line. He goes to the police, who begins a murder investigation. Inspector Selby arranges for a sketch artist to make a drawing based on the, the various ex-witness descriptions and employs the assistance 
of Mr. Pritchard, a blind beggar, with a hyperdeveloped sense of smell. But despite these unusual innovations, the investigation stalls. Orloff strikes again, this time seducing Marika Hoffman, a sexy dancer at the Pike's Hole Cabaret Bar, and, and after taking her to Kensington Park, where he murders her. Charlie the fisherman figures out that Orloff is responsible after witnessing him acting suspiciously on the riverbank. The unscrupulous fellow decides to try and blackmail Orloff, but instead he becomes his next victim. Determined to help, Cynthia goes undercover as a woman of the night to, fle- to flesh out the maniac. Instead, she too falls into the killer's clutches. So, <clears throat> Eric, what did you think of the film? Yeah, it, was a, it was a solid movie. Like, um, it was really good camera shots, lighting. Um, yeah, it was, it was just a really solid movie. Uh, Klaus Kinski is awesome. Like, he's always great. Um, yeah, it's a... You could tell this one had budget behind it. It had... Um, this was a... This was a movie for him to show. Like, this was a, a movie that he was making to show. And it was... Uh, yeah, that was really solid. Really good. Yeah, Franco, after making those three in-house, he was really itching to get out and stuff. So he pitched this idea to um, Dietrich. And then he told him... he Basically, Franco pitched this idea to him, told him what it was what the script was, how he can get it done, the budget, basically gave him everything down and, and presented it to him like a business proposal, like, here, here's what it's going to cost, here's everything broken down for you, here, and then he's like, well, shit, you know, and then figured it all out, and the job was already done for him, and as a businessman, he realized he could make money on it, and then he got another person to be a producer, and then they came forward, and that's why he, you know, and he controlled it and everything as well, but, uh, yeah, that's why the really fast turnaround, and, uh, yeah, and, and it benefited both parties. Dietrich got a really good film. Faker got to go out and shoot location things. Um, you see uh, quite a bit on cool stuff on this. Um, is there a body of water in this? Well, the River Thames. Oh, yeah, duh. The, the River Thames. Yeah, that, that so, was the... That's why I always talk about this. Okay, so here's the checklist. Body of water. Check. There's body of water. There's River Thames. Sailboat. Uh, Klaus Kinski has a boat that he rows, and the woman rows to yes. expose the bodies. So yes. there's your boat. Uh, dance scene. There's a cabaret scene with Lena Romay. The cabaret scene with the dancers. There's a ballerina has dances scenes. Yeah. Uh, there's of course club goers inside there. Um, palm trees. There's palm trees in Doctor Orloff's operating room deal, which is the greenery or the greenhouse, which he cuts up the bodies and such. He has uh, many potted plants around, which are all palm trees. Um, I don't think there's really no, no no jungle sound effects on this. No. No. Just no, phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just a phone when I was watching this. Uh, there's no sheepskin rug. Uh, there's no masturbation with sea items in this. Uh, red lights. I don't think the red lights because this is like 1888 or whatever it was. So uh, there's no like, you know, red lights in this. Just uh, some cool. Well, there's firelight, but from his stove. But yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, like Eric said, this is like a, a really good movie. Um it's uh, 1976, so yeah, it's like watching a, a 70s Hammer film, kind of, to me. I kind of got that vibe off that. They use a lot of the Jack the Ripper tropes. Um, but yeah, if you watch this and with Dr. Orloff, you'll see that it's a lot of the scenes are back-to-back similar, but this, he has a little bit more money, and he can go way graphicer with the violence. There's quite a bit of the cutting up of the breasts off the body, and the cutting. there's quite a bit of gore in this, and it's... It's well done. Some scenes looked a little hokey, but some were really well done. Um, I thought the the really graphic stuff was was good. Yeah. Um, 
Lena Romay, you see her return in this after being absent from like three films. Um, she comes in and does this, and then uh, does the Elsa, the Wand of the Wicked Warden, and then disappears again, and then comes back again, and uh, later on, real soon, and then stays forward after that. So it was cool to see her again in this. She looked good and uh, beautiful. Looked healthy. She's and, so beautiful. <laughs> and she has a really cool scene with. Uh, with Klaus Kinski, Jack Ripper's character, it's like what you want her to be in it. She's she's beautiful. She strips in this. Uh, she has a really good acting scene with Klaus Kinski, um, and you know she's she lasts a long time. And, and she's her part is it's a small part, but it's really well done. And she definitely oh, and you can see Lena's magic tongue again in this. So <laughs> you see her tongue with Klaus Kinski's yeah. tongue. Well, it's like because she's so gosh, she's so adorable. And like she's so expressive with her eyes, and she has those big doe eyes, and she's so flirty and playful yet innocent, and but it's, yeah, all these things. And then you have her with Klaus Kinski, who has who's very expressive with his eyes too. Serious, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what Klaus is. All the eyes. Yeah, he's like a, like a William Dafoe in a way. Like he just has eyes and his facial movements is like. Yeah, and Klaus Kinski, you know, watching this compared to the last few, like I was talking to Eric when we were watching this, and it's like. You know, Esther Mogier and Esther Polair and Eric Falk and all those guys, you know, they're they're decent actors in that. But if you watch, like, Klaus Kinski in this, he's, like, such a fucking good actor. And, like, yeah. he, he could just sit in a scene and he just automatically just rules the scene of, like, his body language. And he acts with every part of his body. He'll act with his eyes and he'll act with his shoulders. And he'll act with his chest and, of course, his voice and his manners. And, and he uses his whole body and he throws himself in. And, and I was watching when he grabs the girls he just grabs him real hard for real and like just throws him over his shoulder throws him into things and moves and which is believable because that's what a person would do and he's a very believable actor if somebody was attacking somebody they wouldn't hesitate and pick up the person and care for him they would grab the person and, and just grab yeah, like yeah, an yeah. object like you're like you're grabbing a bag of money and trying to run you know or something like that yeah. you would you wouldn't like you know baby it you would grab the fucking thing and just go as hard as you could yeah so he's very believable with that um but yeah, so so that was really cool. Um, we went to the checklist and, and did all those of that. Um, so yeah, uh, watching the film, like I said, it's the seventy seventh film he did. Um, Lena Romay, you see her her return. Uh, Esther Studer, she's uh, was in the last film, and of course she plays uh, the second victim from Doctor Orloff. Um, there's a scene too, which is kind of cool. Uh, this one I'm not going to go through the synopsis as much because, like I was saying, you kind of just want to watch it as a regular movie. It's a good 70s horror film, and even if you're not a Jess Franco fan, this is a, fa- a film that anybody would want to watch because 70s horror, it's well-made, it's, it's uh, you know, it fits in with, like, uh, those type of movies like that. Um, but there's a scene where they're trying to describe the people that saw Jack the Ripper, and you see the one person describing him, and you see the sketch artist, and he's drawing out the person, and then the next person, they're trying to tell uh, who it is, the Jack the Ripper. And this part, I thought, might be Klaus Kinski, because Klaus Kinski was a really good artist, and he drew himself and drew a lot of cool things. So you see them describing Dr. Orloff slash Klaus Kinski, and as the person is drawing the picture, you can really tell that's Klaus Kinski by the drawing, and you only see the artist's hand that's sketching it. You don't see their whole body. So I imagine that that was Klaus Kinski uncredited as the artist in that scene, drawing himself, just a basic line drawing of Klaus Kinski, because... It definitely popped that drawing of of his face. Oh yeah, and everything, yeah. You know? well, the, the one where it showed the police officer drawing the second, or, yeah, yeah. the guy drawing it. 
like that was like a stick figure with like you know yeah, kind of a dot fat eyes face and, and real basic yeah real basic really terrible and then all of a sudden when it when you don't see the the sketch artist in the in the camera and you just see the arm it's like this real fluid motions and it's like he's he's actually drawing with like charcoal instead of like a pencil and you know what I mean like it's completely different completely different style you know yeah no it's it's, it's funny how that, how like you could tell and that it was just like on point and it had a purpose and, and everything um what's cool is uh this is the fourth film that uh Klaus Kinski did with Jess Franco he did Venus and Furs and then Justine and then Count Dracula and then this um which was cool because he worked with uh, Werner Herzog quite a bit um and from what I've read, uh, he liked working with Franco. He worked, uh, basically they had him for two weeks on this shoot and they got all of his scenes shot in one week because in this, which is funny because you watch this, it makes sense because he doesn't have a lot of dialogue at first and he just kind of like looks at people and doesn't say a lot. Yeah. So those scenes would be probably quick to film because he's not going to drop a line. Plus they recorded without sound and they did all the sound later. So that would be a faster way to, to, to shoot. You would spend more time on post-production and if he's not dumbing his lines, then he could be cut, you know. But yeah. he worked long hours with Franco, and I guess he really liked Franco because he could see that Franco worked hard with what he had, and he did have the passion and love for it. So he put his ego aside and worked with Franco and, and really turned in a good performance in this film and in other films as well for Franco. But uh, I definitely liked him as Jack the Ripper in this. Um, yeah, so like he shot like 15-hour days or something at night with him and, and just definitely knocked it through and, 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 and gave us all. And that definitely shows in this and that, that why that, that definitely holds off. Um, let's see. Uh, what else we talk about? Yeah. I was talking about the, the one thing I, I didn't really like was the, um, the, uh, dubbing on Klaus Kinski. I mean, other the dubbings, there's kind of odd. I don't know. Um, the other dubbing I guess was okay. I don't know. The women maybe were, yeah, uh, anything it, that stood out to you besides the Klaus Kinski's dubbing being terrible? Yeah, Klaus Kinski, um, and besides the tone of the dubbing, I know that. But like, yeah. I mean, all, all the other ones I think fit okay. The inspector, okay. They, were, the, they were kind of funny. Yeah. Like the, the the inspector's helper was real feminine. Like so, that yeah, was, that that was kind of funny. Like just that the, guy was funny. Yeah, the, like to hear the police officer talk, but he was like real feminine voice. You yeah, know? talked with a lisp, and it was like, oh, had a very. Affected yeah. speech to him, so yeah, uh, that didn't kind of. It did, I don't know if that really fit him so well, but it kind of did. Well, yeah, because yeah, you did. see him kind of flippant and searching through the book and not doing things, yeah. and that might have been his attitude or whatever, and that kind of carried through. I could guess, yeah, but uh, yeah, it was funny. Even the old beggar was okay and stuff. <laughs> One thing though, I noticed about this that I, I made a point uh, to make note about was the nudity in this. Um, the last few Franco films you watch, a lot of Franco films, you see the nudity through pleasurable circumstances. The girls getting naked on their own will or, or being naked and dancing or having fun or just being nude. And in this, a lot of the nudity comes from the ripping of the clothes by Jack the Ripper to see the nudity, which is kind of a vast difference to the other films where uh, on this you see violence through violent actions or nudity through violence actions, through violent actions compared to pleasurable things in other films so um what did you think about that when you saw that well, yeah like, seeing in, that difference yeah in this film uh sex was a violent act right like even even in the very beginning when a drunk guy is talking to a prostitute and he says you know i want to like i want to make love to you or something like that whispers like i want to make love to you in this place 
And she's like, get out of here. You can't even pay me enough to do that. Like, go away from me. So even like just this guy who's not Jack the Ripper, his suggestion of sex was a violent act to her. You know what I mean? So sex was violence in this one. Whereas, yeah. Yeah, and it was like every woman in the film was there to basically provide sex or was an entertainer. And even like the Jack the Ripper character who, like this is comparable to other Jack the Ripper films where Jack the Ripper always lived in a room inside of a home with other people and there's always a landlady that would be at the base of the stairway and always greet him upon entering and kind of want to get in his business and Jack the Ripper always wanted to be by himself and come and go up to his room and lock it all the time. And this woman as well kept trying to offer sex to him, noticing yeah. he was by himself. I'm like, what are you doing by yourself? And uh, and he just wanted to do his thing, which is funny too because you're saying that and then the one older lady who gets questioned, she's asking the guy, well, why are you by yourself? You know, why aren't you married? You know, and he yeah. turns it on her. Well, why aren't you married? You know, back to her. Yeah. Which is funny. So that's always the thing is they're always questioning that. Like you're single. Why Or you should be, you know, with somebody doing something, you know? Yeah. Which is with this whole thing. So it's funny. Yeah. Cause then the woman undercover at the end playing a prostitute, the guy goes, Oh, it's your first time, huh? And, and or you're uh, uh, new at this, you know, and she's going undercover to try to flesh out Jack the Ripper. And uh, so, yeah, it's funny on this. Everybody like, has the role and they're playing it back then you know yeah but uh, yeah so th- th- this was a really good film definitely after the last three films it's cool to see a film film <laughs> you know with the plot structure really good acting exterior locations yeah. nice soundtrack great cinematography oh yeah all the checklists of stuff we like to see uh you could definitely see the spirit that was missing in those last three oh, films it started off yeah it started off like a, a good movie. Like yeah. the the opening credits that had the whole scene of the prostitute walking up this narrow alley. Yeah, good call. Um, and then it cuts to her walking up the street, which he uses a lot in that film, this the scene. But just to start it off right off the bat, I'm like, wow, okay, that's a dope camera angle. You know, that's a that's a very well lit, centered shot. You know, and it was the perfect length of for the credits. And it just yeah, it started off like immediately like, okay, you're like, this is a much higher quality film. Yeah, and also, too, like he was saying, I mean, in the last three films, like Esther Mosier and that, you had people that were good actors that saved the movie, but in this, when the energy all around, the actors, of course, and the crew, and, and just the energy of the production is so much lighter and, and quicker, you could just see it in the film of everybody's having a good time, and that people always say that about my films, like, wow, it looks like you guys are always having a good time, and that definitely always comes across on film, and to see this, that definitely raises raises it more it seems like when people are into it and doing their best it definitely comes across oh, yeah. on all parts of it editing all the way to acting all the way through you know oh yeah yeah there's, there's one shot um when it, when they first introduced the ballerina um and it's in the ballet studio and you have the guy with the piano oh, more dancing yeah. um <laughs> but there's a shot that's where he loves to do those shots in the mirror he loves to do mirror shots and um so this was like a big round mirror that was towards the the top the roof right and um but it was such a it flowed so well with the angles of the the circular of the door way and the colors and just yeah yeah it's at the ballet studio right there yeah that that was a really beautiful shot i i remember you had commented on that you're like wow look at the architecture of the the top of the room and the the way the mirrors are and everything yeah it it definitely has a really nice really nice tone through that like okay franco all right man you got some you got some skills really good (laughs) You got a good eye. Yeah, no, this is good. And, and Klaus Kinski, 
I, I was really happy to see him and just to, to see his performance in this because, of course, I knew he was in this and stuff, but I wanted to see how he brought it and, and how he acted, and, and uh, I was really, really happy with that. So Yeah, Klaus just plays crazy people. Like, he yeah. just, like even in the, the first film that we watched, um, the, the, the Dracula. Count Dracula, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm glad Klaus Kinski was more in this than he was in that. But um, Yeah, so, you know, I liked him in this a lot more than I did in Count Dracula myself. Oh, yeah. I thought I liked this role a lot better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was more of a role. You know, that yeah, one, he just had a true. few scenes where he just got real crazy. Yeah, and smeared stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Eight, Eight lies. And shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, he definitely is good in this. Uh, is, is there any other notes or anything that you want to bring up that you're thinking about? No, it's just, uh, I thought I really liked the, the special effects in it. There's a scene where he's removing a lesion from this guy. Oh, yeah, the and, opening scene where yeah. he's the doctor, yeah. And I was like, that's cool. That was actually a cool effect, you know? Like, I mean, yeah. simple, but it was, it was effective and cool. You yeah, know? there was a lot of cool gore, like, cutting off things, like he was talking about. There's a lot of cool practical effects. The hand, the dead hand with the ring was pretty fucking hokey. But oh, that was real hokey. But the cutting off of the breasts and the cutting off of the limbs and the body and stuff, those looked really good. Yeah, that was the All the way through, you know. Um, God, Lena Romay makes such a beautiful dead woman. I know. <laughs> Even when she was dead, all cut up, Eric's like, God, she's so beautiful. Like, well, you know, Eric, she's cut up in small pieces. She's perfect right now. just the way she is. <laughs> but no, this is uh, definitely a really great film. Really great shots. I keep saying, really good lighting, really beautiful. Uh, the his uh, cinematographer on this really lit the outdoor scenes with the fog. Really nice, and it just wasn't hokey at all. Everything oh. had class and production, and even all the costuming and everything looked really. I don't know if it's authentic, but it definitely looked really good for pure detail in that. You know. There was another scene that I really, really, really dug. What's that? Um, it was like we were talking about it, and you, you said, and I, I kind of got the feeling about this as well, that it looked like it was an early morning shot because oh, yeah, of the yeah, way yeah. the sky and Those the lighting. shots. Yeah, but it had this effect on the this tree where it made the – or those plants that made it such a neon green. It almost had like yeah. a black light effect to it, you had mentioned. Yeah, it was almost like they shot it either like the early, early morning hour or just before the sun went down, probably early morning hour. Um, and uh, they ended up bumping the – it looks like they basically bumped the contrast up as hard as you can go while still bringing up your brightness levels but not totally bright. And that way it basically bumps all your greens and your lower levels, almost gives like a black light effect. And it definitely – also, too, in the remastering, that might have bumped that contrast up because on the exteriors of the building, they almost gave like a reddish-black kind of a heavy contrast on that. Yeah. But it, it definitely gave a cool effect, you know. Um, it didn't look bad or dark or anything. It just looked different, you know. It definitely broke it up. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I, this is this is definitely good. Um, there's an ISAS called Elite Special Edition DVD, I mean, uh, Blu-ray of that. Uh, we have the Full Moon uh, DVD, which is really good as well. There's a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes things on the uh, restoration of the film. They did a good job um, restoring this version. Um, let's see. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, you can find us at FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com. If you want to ask us any questions or join the legions of fans, you can find us at Facebook or Instagram at the Franco Observer podcast page. Uh, please download the show. It uh, helps our numbers. Uh, listening to the show is awesome. Downloading the show is even better. And even better than that is rating the show and uh, giving us reviews. That helps the audience and helps uh, build our numbers and all that good stuff. Uh, December numbers were definitely uh, great. 
uh, November numbers were good. So definitely we went up in December. So that's awesome. Um, each month we're going to keep getting more and more people. So that's, that's, that's really good. Happy about that. Uh, more downloads and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, this, uh, this was a really good film. Definitely recommend it. Of all the films that we've watched, this is definitely like top five so far. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say this Vampire was Lesbos so far. And then, of course, are the ones I've watched that we haven't reviewed yet. Like, on a side note, my personal favorites are like uh, She Killed an Ecstasy and uh, Christina, Princess of Eroticism, which is also known as Virgin Want Living Dead. Those are two great ones. Uh, Bahia Blanca is great. Vampire was Lesbos, of course. And then, uh, that's but yeah so but yeah this is definitely a really good film definitely enjoyed it um this was the 77th film episode 17 uh jack the ripper klaus kinski jess franco erwin c dietrich um yeah check it out you can find it a lot of places might even be on amazon prime it's probably on youtube um all that good stuff full moon video ascot elite all that good stuff so I guess with that, that should be the final words. Signing off once again, this is your host, Jason Rudy, saying goodbye. And this is my co-host, Eric Whitwell. Beautiful nights. Adios.